Welcome to the My New Life message with Mac McDonald. As a former member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint, or formerly known as Mormon, Mac converted to Christianity on September 29, 2020, and it has since changed his life. With a love and passion for his LDS friends and the LDS people, Mac's heart is inspired to open the eyes and ears to those friends and members and lead them to the Word of God found only in the Bible. Salvation is only given through Jesus Christ, and it is Mac's passion to lead members and friends to Christ and His road to salvation. Welcome to My New Life. My name is Mac McDonald. Today's message is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a three-part message. And the first part is going to be called Growing Up LDS. It's just about my background, uh, where my LDS heritage came from, and growing up as a Latter-day Saint in the Phoenix area. Part two will be our first big move. My family moved up to the White Mountains. We lived there 12 years, and that's where a lot of the major changes in my life happened, in our lives happened. And then part three will be accepting God's grace, the final conclusion of how I came to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So without any hesitation, let's move forward to part one, Growing Up LDS. As I sat there in that high council room, 16 hands on my head, my stake president preparing to give me a blessing, why he would give me a blessing, I have no idea. It was at that moment that I started to take a hard look back on my life, wondering how I got to this moment where I just lost my membership in the LDS church and had the feeling in my heart, even though this was the worst experience I could ever have gone through, how did I get here? My name is Ernest McDonald. Most people, friends, and family know me as Mac. I'm a sixth generation member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, known better as Mormons. Up until recently, when my mom passed away in December of 2022, I never really knew just what a pioneer Latter-day Saint meant. Preparing a life story for my mother's funeral, my research took me back to Denmark in the 1850s, a little over 20 years after the LDS church began on April 6, 1830. This would be my grandmother's great-great-grandfather, Frederick Jacobson, who was the first to join the LDS church along with his wife and six children. They would come to the Americas and settle in Bear Lake, Idaho in 1862. Of the family of eight, only Frederick, his wife Elizabeth, and their son Peter would survive and make it to Utah. Frederick's son Peter would be asked to be one of the pioneers to settle in what became known as the Gila Valley, where you will find the town and county seat known as Safford, Arizona. This is where my mother, Margaret Ann Gailey, would be born. My father, Rex Darwin McDonald, was not a member of the LDS Church when he married my mother. Mom was and had always been an active member of the church her entire life. My parents would meet on a blind date in Phoenix, Arizona. After that first date, my mom told her parents that she had just met the man who would become her husband. And sure enough, within two weeks, Dad asked Mom to marry her, and on July 5, 1957, they were married. They would buy their first and only home in West Phoenix near 35th Avenue in Glendale. Mom and Dad would have three children. My older sister, whose name was Catherine Lynn, was born on September 12, 1958. She passed away in May of 2020. My brother Rex Darwin Jr. was born April 5, 1961, 
18 months later, on August 28, 1962, I, w- I arrived on the scene. I was named after my mother's father, Ernest Lee. In those early years, we were your typical middle-class American family. My parents' 1,400-square-foot red brick home was in a quaint neighborhood. It would be there where I would spend my entire youth and teen years enjoying life in and around that neighborhood. As far back as I can remember, we as a family were active in the church. From ages 3 to 11, I went to primary, where I made friendships that have lasted to this day. Once I turned 12, I went to Young Men, Young Women's, every Wednesday or Thursday night. Sundays were an all-day affair. When I turned 12, I attended priesthood in the mornings with my dad and brother. Then we would go home and get my mom and sister, and we would attend Sunday school for an hour and a half. In the evening was sacrament. For another hour and a half, I received my blessing at birth from Raymond Kellis, who would later become the stake president and ordain me to the office of high priest as well as second counselor in my home ward bishopric. I was baptized at eight years of age. My father couldn't baptize me at the time, not being worthy due to his habit of smoking, which was against the word of wisdom. Dad started smoking cigarettes when he was 12 years old. He said it was the hardest habit he had to break. So I asked him for my eighth birthday, since he could not baptize me, would he be willing to give me that present and quit smoking? He said he would, and fortunately he did. A guy by the name of Ralph Scott would be the person that would baptize me. As we were going over the rehearsal of the how-tos and expectations of me during the baptismal process, I remember him telling me that I had to hold my nose before being dipped in the water. Otherwise, water would go into my nose and it would be an unpleasant experience. I remember wanting to be very cool and I thought it would be very wimpy to plug my nose, so I told him I would be fine. Sure enough, when I came up out of the water, I had a nose and sinus cavity full of water. I began coughing and choking with all that water being sucked up my nose. This, I think, disappointed my mom only because she wanted my baptism to be a special experience. I would later tell her that it was a special and memorable experience for that matter. I would receive the Holy Spirit from Raymond Kellis, yes, the same man who gave me my blessing as a baby. Looking back, growing up a Latter-day Saint was easy. What I mean by that is I grew up with great structure and standards that kept me morally clean and away from all the issues that can create havoc in a young child's life and health such as alcohol, smoking, and drugs. So my childhood was healthy and morally clean. As far back as I can remember, I was taught the story of Joseph Smith and the Golden Plates in primary, through lessons and songs. It was a fact that I never questioned. I would have many lessons regarding the history, Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and most importantly, Joseph Smith, that I felt the church made sense to me and answered any questions I may have about life as to where I came from, why I was here on this earth, and where I was going. The only question I had growing up was, why everyone wasn't a member of the LDS church. As young as five years of age, when the teacher would ask how many of us boys planned on serving a mission when we turned 19, my hand would be one of the first to jet up every time. I was so excited to go on a mission for the church. I had two worlds growing up. I had a world that existed at school, which had different friends than were in my church world. My LDS friends were more like my family to me. I would hang out with my school friends, which was fine, but as I became older, I would spend less time with them and more time with my church friends, which I enjoyed much more. One of the things you're encouraged to do as a young male member is to set aside, along with paying your tithing, a missionary bank account. Parents were also encouraged to contribute to that account 
so that when the time came for you to go on a mission, a young man could pay his way. 19 years of age was the age that you were to leave on a mission and by either the money you had saved or with help of your parents or both, your mission would be taken care of financially. As I got closer and closer to 19, I began to realize that there was no way I was going to be able to save up enough money to go on a mission and there was no way for my parents to help pay even a little. I was too embarrassed to admit this among my friends and every time my bishop would give me an annual or semi-annual priesthood interview, he would ask if I was ready to go on a mission. I would always use some excuse as to why I didn't want to go, but I would never admit it was because of finances. This started about the age of 17 when the pressure from the bishop as well as every LDS girl you date asked, are you going to go on a mission? I remember using whatever excuse I could find, a girlfriend which really wasn't an excuse because any girl that I dated always told me I had to go on a mission or they wouldn't date me. I even said at one time that I was going to go join the military or just get a job after high school. I continued making excuses both on dates and as well as talking to my bishop. Sometimes I would just avoid him so he wouldn't have to ask if I was ready to start my mission papers. Shortly after my 19th birthday, I met with my bishop and he asked me what the real reason was that I didn't want to go on a mission. That's when I told him I had no money and he knew my parents and there was no way they could afford it either. It was at that time he simply told me, Ernie, if you want to go on a mission, you don't need to worry about money. We will get you on a mission and figure, a way to pay, figure out a way to pay for it. It took a while for that to sink in, and shortly after my 20th birthday, I was sitting in church listening to a good friend of mine give his missionary farewell. All his family and friends were there, and as I sat there listening to him give his talk regarding leaving on a mission, the excitement got me got me going, and I would later call my bishop that night and begin the process of going on a mission. March 17, 1983 is when I reported to the MTC or Missionary Training Center. My mission changed my life. I guess you could say I grew up. I had some amazing experiences dedicating myself to serving the church. My companions were awesome. I met friends and companions that I still keep in touch with to this day. My mission president was from Arizona and was an amazing and encouraging man. I remember him telling me that I was going to be a great success because of my ability to talk to anyone without hesitation and that I had a very likable personality and what he called the gift of gap, saying I wasn't bashful and could talk to anyone. I did have some very profound experiences on my mission. At the time, they were just part of the many experiences that I would have throughout my life convincing me that the LDS Church was the only true church on earth. I came home in late September of 1984 and was ready to start my life. I had a friend named Conrad Hernandez who had challenged me to a one-on-one -on -one basketball game the day I got home, after which we were going to go to the young adult dance. I was not too excited to go to the dance since I had not been around a girl for so long. 24-7 missionary work was my life, and girls were not something I was ready for. Even worse, I had started to lose my hair and all the girls who were so excited when I left were nowhere to be found and those that were, were very much not interested in me upon my return home from my mission, which I found quite funny. As I walked into the church cultural hall, I looked across the room and I saw the most beautiful pair of blue eyes I'd ever seen in my life, which were part of the most beautiful face I'd ever seen. Little did I know that those eyes and that beautiful face would be my wife 18 months later. 
Cheryl would later say that it wasn't love at first sight for her, that I grew on her. However, I will never forget the night I fell in love with her. We were in Flagstaff up at a cabin where the young adults set up a getaway for the weekend. Everybody was in the main room and was talking about the days prior to their, our missions and bragging about how cool they were or what kind of athletes they were, and somehow I became the topic of interest. There were various comments regarding my past, and it seemed to get a little carried away. Cheryl stood up and in front of everyone said, All she knew is that that Ernie was a little boy, and the Ernie McDonald she knew and loved was a man. It was not just a proud moment, but a moment I realized this girl was something special and that I'd better marry her before someone else did. Besides, I knew she was the one. January 25th, 1986, Cheryl and I were married. Those first few years, we lived in small apartments. We moved to a couple of different wards over time as our family grew. At first, our callings in the wards were usually in the primary or something simple since we were a growing family living in a small rental homes and apartments. Most bishops knew we were not going to be in their ward for any lengthy period of time. We purchased our first home, which just so happened to be in the ward that I was born and raised in. By this time, we had five children. Tiffany Michelle, the oldest, then Holly Ann Marie, Ernest Lee Jr., or EJ as we call him, Samantha Ray, and Vance Hunter. We both loved being around people that I had known most of my life and grown to love so much. It was at this time that we started getting church callings that took up a lot of time with increased responsibilities, which neither of us minded at all. Cheryl served in the primary and relief society presidencies multiple times. I served in several callings for the stake, including mission presidency, as well as other state callings. In the ward, I served as the secretary to the bishopric, as the young men's president, and as I mentioned, as a counselor in a bishopric. All of these callings gave us profound moments in our lives that we felt confirmed the truthfulness of the LDS Church. Over the years as a member of the church, I would often hear people's affirmations of the church being true, and it would seem to come at a time when outside sources were either being critical of the church or questioning the prophet or apostles or even the local leadership's actions. It seemed to always start like this, all I know is, and then relate whatever spiritual experience it was that they had had. That would be their affirmation that the church was true. Their testimony was always based on the Holy Spirit affirming the truthfulness of the church through some deed, act, or spiritual experience they had. It goes like this. All I know is after reading the Book of Mormon, the Spirit confirmed to me it was true. All I know is when I, was in, when I went to the temple one time, I could feel the presence of the Spirit letting me know I was doing the Lord's work. All I know is every time I pay my tithing, the Lord blesses me, sometimes with a raise, at work, other times with money coming in unexpectedly, but I know it is because I pay a full tithe. All I know is that when I gave that blessing, the Spirit told me what to say and that everything would be all right. I say this because that is what I believed, and those th same things that happened to me were, at, were just affirmations that the church was true. This concludes Part 1, Growing Up LDS. Next week, listen to Part 2, our first big move. Tell us about my family's move to the White Mountains and the events that led to my faith taking on challenges I never thought possible. Thanks for listening and have a very blessed day. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information or if you would like to meet with Mac McDonald, 
send your request to mac at newlifecasagran.com. Again, thank you for listening to today's message.